0: This is a Cherished Podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Boudreau. I'll be taking you for an inside look behind the glamorous facade of the interior design industry at a time when every aspect of the business, from sourcing to trends to marketing to dealing with clients, is undergoing rapid change. After three and a half months and counting, confined to our homes, it's become pretty clear what works at home and what doesn't. We are all coping with new demands, staying six feet apart, creating a functional and quiet space to Zoom, even trying to find a place to hang up our newly washed face masks to dry. So what does the changed reality the Corona crisis has imposed on us mean for the design of homes in the future? More home offices? Probably. More doors in private areas? Possibly. Larger pantries and storage areas? Decontamination zones? Who knows? Fortunately, I have with me today two experts in how Americans want to live. They are both skilled in traditional design, but understand that tradition needs to adapt to stay relevant and powerful, and perhaps never more so than at this moment. First up is Sarah Ramsey, a design partner at the firm Coleman & Kravis, which she joined in 2004 after an extensive background in the auction world. Sarah has crafted numerous apartments and residences in New York City, and is currently working on a home in Palm Beach, among several other projects. Welcome, Sarah.
1: Thank you, hello.
0: Hi. Tom Kligerman is a founding partner of the architectural firm Ike Kligerman Barclay, where his extensive knowledge of the history of American residential architecture and garden design, and especially his passion for the shingle style, so popular at the turn of the century and today, has inspired him in the creation of some of the most beautiful residences of the past quarter century. Hello, Tom. Hey, Michael. Hi, Sarah. Hi. So glad you both could be with me today. So I wanted to talk about a little pre-COVID crisis and then then post-COVID crisis. So I wanted to get a sense from you about how you felt people were feeling about their homes before they were confined and, and what the difference is now that they've spent three, almost four months at home, generally without an office to escape to, no theater, no restaurants. So... How has that changed in the way people are reacting with their homes? Why don't we start with you, Sarah? Ladies first.
1: I think people are looking at things much more closely than they used to. You know what? We've gotten a lot of service calls, people calling and saying, There's a, a mark on the fabric. Can someone come clean this when this is all over? Or that the nitpicking. Little wow, things. that's their
0: concern. Interesting. <laughs>
1: But also, I mean, I haven't spent this much time in my own apartment in one fell swoop. And so I'm looking at things too very closely in my own apartment. I think I need to change that. I think I need to change this. So,
0: Tom, it's a little different with you because generally you don't call the architect back to redo the upholstery. That's not your job. And, you know, maybe they call you back and say, we want to add on a room or whatever. But have your clients? Since the crisis, I I know you had projects in the works. Are they rethinking them now? Some are
2: and some aren't. It depends on a lot of different things. One is it depends on the size of the house you're doing or the size of the apartment. So on some of the projects that are smaller, we have had at least one call where they want to add on, actually two, one that we're designing right now and one that is actually under construction. And they want to add on another room that's just sort of a place they can go, not to literally isolate from a biological you know, germ Mm -hmm. perspective, but a place where they can have quiet. So that's one thing we're seeing. The other thing is we're doing a house in East Hampton, and we got a call uh, that they wanted to create this space, and we're doing it in the attic. But the third floor was attic before. The third floor is now this large flex space, probably for the kids to play. But it could be a place to have a gathering where you can be far the park because it's actually a very big room. So there's a lot of talk about expansion in that way, whether it's under design or under construction. The other thing that I'm hearing, probably more so, is about the mechanical systems. You know, how do we filter the air? And um, this is something we've never dealt with before. So we're now talking about HEPA filters and all these kinds of things. That has come up. Easy to do when you're planning. It's tougher to do when the house is three quarters complete. Right. So um, those are the things that we're hearing, among others, but those are the major things we're hearing.
0: Right. Well, we've been hearing a lot about health and wellness even before the corona crisis, but I, I think people felt that was like going to a spa. But now I think they want to bring that home. And how do you adapt that? Like, have you been hearing about that from your clients, Sarah?
1: So I think now that clients are at home, they're realizing that their homes have to be really flexible because it's... School for the kids. It's a restaurant, it's a sick bay, a playground, an office. So they're wanting to create more flexibility in the house. And this is actually funny. I have a client who wanted to redo his entire master suite in his house. His kids are grown, they're in their 20s. We spent so much time on the plans every nook and cranny, right before corona hit. We had it all sealed, signed, sealed, and delivered. Three weeks in, he sent an email and he said, we gotta move the master suite to the other side of the house. His kids came home, one brought a girlfriend who brought a dog, and he said, it's way too noisy. (laughs) on over on the side of the house where everyone gathers and there's no way we, we should put the master bedroom here. We have to move it to the other side of the house. So it's back to the drawing board. Right.
0: Right. Well, I think there's a lot of cases where the drawing board is going to be rethought, you know, and come back into play because I was joking about this the other day, but when you're home, like in the mornings and in the evenings, maybe then you go out things that annoy you or don't work, Man, you're only there in a couple of hours, really, and then most of your time you're asleep. But when you're in your house every day, some little thing that annoys you and it happens to you multiple times a day, every day of the week, it's going to really annoy you and and prompt you to rethink things and change things. So, I
2: think that's true, Michael. It's This whole thing is brought about an intensity that we weren't used to before. And it starts with Zoom. You know, I... I click off of one Zoom, and I've had to make this new rule. No, I need 15 minutes between these calls. Right. It still doesn't happen. I will click off of one and instantly onto another. So there's an intensity about how you're involved in everything, and, and, and as Sarah was saying, it makes you kind of pick at things because, first of all, you you're a little bit irritated a fair amount of the time because of the, just the difficulty yeah. in normal conversation. But then you think about you look at you. Know, I look at my background, and I think. God. I really should paint this room. So all kinds of things. You're right, Sarah. Things are starting to get to us. Mm-hmm. And um, I think to everybody. Clients, too. And so they are they're thinking and thinking and thinking and wondering how they can make things better and easier than the confines of what we're living now.
1: It seems like the favorite backdrop on Zoom is a bookshelf, bookcases with books. And just watching TV and watching people on the news and elsewhere, I want to rearrange and redo the bookshelves in probably 90% of them. (laughs)
0: Right. Because I think people get annoyed when you use those fantasy backgrounds. that doesn't, (laughs) initially it was fine, but now it's like enough. But it's interesting. I mean, this is the flip side. I mean, the good part of this is that people are more involved in their homes and more caring about their homes. The bad side is they're more demanding and there's nothing more exhausting than Zoom call after Zoom call, Tom. So believe me, I'm sympathetic with that. But I guess it does show a level of engagement with the process that, maybe it's more so than previously?
2: I think so. I think, uh, I can tell you that my meetings are longer and a lot of it is just more thinking and turning it over. Is this right? Well, you know, where will we sit? What if there's 10 of us? It's funny how in a way there's almost this implication that this will never end. The way people are thinking now is, you know, we will always be living like this to some degree or another or we got to be prepared for the next one, whether it's the next wave or the next outbreak or the next pandemic. But there is a lot of sort of uh, rehashing makes it sound terrible. It's not that negative. But things have become more thoughtful. Conversations are
0: longer. And that can be good, but it's, at the moment, much more exhausting, I have no doubt. One of the things that has, you know, I've been spending the quarantine in my weekend house in Connecticut. So I'm here seven days a week. I mean, I've been back to the city a couple of times, but so I know about what's annoying and more annoying and you wish you had more space. But, you know, I love New York City. I can't wait to get back to New York City. Although, those friends who are there have said, the city that you love isn't here. But, you know, you're reading all this stuff. And I was, as I said, listening to real estate blogs, they say, according to the paper and these real estate experts, People are dying to leave the city and buy second homes or first homes they want to go to someplace where there's a school. But at the same time, one of the great things I thought about the last few years in design was we were finally over the sprawling McMansions, these big estates. They seem not to be selling. Certainly in Connecticut and, and some in Westchester, there was a bit glut in the market. Now they're apparently all being snapped up. So is this going to be a retrograde moment where we go back to big estates, commuting, more gas, more driving. What do you think, Tom? How do you see it?
2: Well, it's funny because it seems like an opportunity. There's so many things that this coronavirus has brought around that are so good from an environmental point of view. You know, in New York City, there are people delivering things in little electric carts rather than a big diesel-powered truck. So on the one hand, there's sort of, there's a sudden, and people are talking about, they can hear the birds, or there aren't as many planes, and it's quieter. So there's this awareness that our life up until March was a little crazy. A, a sort of an environmental awareness. Right. The flip side of that is, as you say, they want bigger houses. And so there's, you know, that's sort of the, the yang to the yin of, it may be environmental to have electric bicycles, but if your house is 6,000 square feet bigger and you're heating and air conditioning, well, your, car- your carbon footprint has not shrunk.
0: Hmm. No, it's probably expanded.
2: It might yeah. have. Um, right. So there are weird things going on from that point of view. There's contradictions.
0: Right. Right. And Sarah, how do you see it in your practice and and Coleman and Kravis there? Do you think that people now necessarily want more space? Do they want more outdoor space? Are they looking for more privacy? I mean, one of the trends that people have been talking about, I don't know if it's true or not, the idea is that people don't want open floor plans anymore. They want doors. Okay, exactly. go ahead, tell me.
1: That's it. Well, it was all the rage, the open floor plan. Right. And now everybody wants to be able to shut a door and go into another room and be alone. And also like kids who always had their own rooms, they're sharing rooms. So they have an extra room to be like a playroom or a homework room to turn, you know, a bedroom into something else functional.
0: Right, right.
1: But
2: that's funny, Sarah. And Michael, I'm, I have not found that to be true. We're starting a house in Texas. It is wide open. and
0: Interesting. We've,
2: uh, well, everybody has their own bedrooms. So there's always a place right. to go. and There's a right. library and there's a couple other little rooms you can escape to. But if you leave all the doors open, actually, I guess to your point, there are doors. You can see from the living room to the dining room into the kitchen all the way up to the screen porch. Wow. But, I'm sort of saying two things. I'm realizing there are, you can close it off. So there's always this tension. Do you want to close it off or do you want it open and modern? Right. And there's
0: a ways, there are ways to have both. Well, I guess if you're homeschooling the kids after about a month, you probably want to close it off a little bit more. But it's interesting that, as you said, there are doors now because for a while, there were no doors other than maybe the bathroom or maybe the, the bedroom. And the kitchen was right in the living room. And I have a feeling that that might change. What do you see happening, Sarah, in terms of, Kitchens and entertaining spaces.
1: I mean, we've always still have a formal dining room, or or a, even a casual breakfast room, mm-hmm. and that is where the the meeting point of of families typically. Right. But you know, now I think that people are now wanting offices that are not your just occasional office in your house. They want, I had a client tell me he wants to build a guest house slash office on his property now, just to- Actually know, leave
0: the house and go to a separate building. Actually leave the
1: house and go somewhere. And then we had another client who bought a small house structure next door and wants to make it into his office like immediately. So just to have somewhere to go that's not, right. you know, they're not all, the whole family isn't on top of each right. other. Right.
0: And I imagine some clients want multiple offices. I mean, both partners and the relationship are probably working. So, is that a difficulty in terms of finding space for that? I mean, it used to be in the 80s and 90s that the wife's office was like, Jason at the kitchen, she'd have a little desk with a laptop. You know, I think those days are probably over.
1: Definitely. We used to call that the telephone table. So they could sit down and make a, a reservation at a nearby restaurant.
0: Right. It's right. not like
1: that anymore no. now that's the double computer screens and right. whatnot. Right.
2: right. Plus right. you're calling for home delivery. You're not going to the restaurant.
0: Still no, leaving. sadly it's all about delivery <laughs> for the moment.
1: Yes, yeah, so Michael, I just
2: to jump in about you're asking about other kinds of spaces. Just I'm just occurring to my one of the things we're doing that I didn't bring up. We are doing a lot of outdoor spaces that can be closed off. What happens is, you know, they have these, in, I forget they call them, visit screens or something, and they can be like 18 feet wide. And So we're doing a number of projects now where open porches, you literally if you press a button, they become a screened porch, so you keep out the bugs and stuff like that, and then you can open up the house. We're doing that in, in a lot of areas. Some of it started before this, and one house was—they just requested that to have a whole south terrace that could open up and really become almost a parallel set of rooms to the main living rooms of the house. So they could go outside. So they got they got more
0: people over and not worry. Interesting, because again, outdoor spaces seems to be the thing at the moment. If you can't have a second house. Apparently, what is a hot property even in cities, and especially in New York City, is any apartment with an outdoor space. You know, it's always been a premium and you paid extra for that. But it seems like that's considered more valuable than ever. I don't know about Juliet balconies. Those went out of style and I think of kind of useless. But outdoor spaces and people spend a lot of money on their outdoor spaces now and fitted them out with kitchens and, plant, you know, expensive planters and plantings. Do you think that's going to help save the city environment for a lot of people? I mean, just the density of New York City, most people cannot have private outdoor space.
1: I went to Central Park this weekend and it was mobbed because all of us who don't have outdoor space are desperate to be Mm -hmm. outside, especially now that the weather is so good. So I've always thought that that outdoor space is a, a major premium of an apartment.
0: Were you able to social distance?
1: Yes, we were, oh, okay. able, but I did see a lot of groups mm-hmm. of people that were pushing it. But right. we put as much thought into an outdoor space to make it an outdoor living room when we lay out the furniture so that it's literally like a room that is comfortable and as functional as we would do in a house.
2: Right. Right. You know, it's funny about outdoor spaces In the past, people wanted balconies on their master bedrooms or balconies. And I always said, you know, that's just a leaf catcher. You go out there the first two weeks that you live there and you never go out again. And you got to clean it. At the moment, my wife and I are living in a rental apartment because we're redoing our apartment. And it has a really big balcony. It's probably, I mean, big for me. It's like 10 by 18.
0: That's substantial.
2: I live out there and it is... (laughs) Probably because otherwise you're in the apartment. You know, right. I didn't leave the apartment for three weeks at first. Right. It has completely changed my mind about outside space, and I'm really sorry that the apartment we're renovating doesn't have a balcony. Right. Hmm. We made a mistake. So I think that, that if you're asking about things in the future, I have a feeling that'll be it. But if you have a guest suite, the guests can go out, sit outside. Certainly in an apartment, but even in a house. You get yeah. outside.
0: Right. Yeah. It's interesting. My apartment in, in the city... I don't have outdoor space, private outdoor space, believe me. But we have a communal roof, which we planted in a very nice way and whatever. And for the last couple of years, hardly anybody went up on the roof. Now the roof is packed. I, I think it's somehow being forced inside, even when you're comfortable inside, the idea that you are not allowed psychologically has an impact. And I think that it will have an effect on the way people live in the future, they they want to have access, even if it's just five feet outside or a courtyard in your apartment building, or I think developers really have got to start paying attention to this because I think it's a very primal, important thing. Yeah, if
2: you see a lot of these new skyscrapers on, if you follow some of these, you know, Yimby and some of these things, Mm -hmm. a lot of these skyscrapers are green or they have balconies and hanging plants and...
0: A lot of setbacks. And that was happening
2: before coronavirus. You have to think that that's just going to be more so, and Mm that the city, hopefully, will become a little softer, a little greener. It's like um, that book, Manhattan. I don't know if you've read that. Mm -hmm. They they show the future future of Manhattan where it's interwoven with parks and stuff like that. Hopefully, that's going to
1: happen. Hi, everybody, and thanks for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying the Cherish podcast. My name is Anna Brockway, and I am the co-founder and president of Cherish. Professional designers are invited to join the Cherish trade program to access special benefits like net pricing— and a special trade-only customer service hotline. New this year, we're also introducing a loyalty program where designers earn $75 in cash for every $5,000 they spend on Cherish. We do hope you'll join us, and in order to do so, please visit cherish.com backslash trade. That's spelled C-H-A-I-R-I-S-H dot com backslash trade. And now back to the show.
0: I want to ask you a little bit about practicalities and lessons that we've learned. Like, I was talking to a designer, and she was saying the one thing that everybody's now interested in is larger pantries, you know, storage space. I think that people got really freaked out when they couldn't get toilet paper. And I, <laughs> I think there's a lingering effect to that. Have you noticed that in your, in your practices?
1: Yes. Do you know that clients ask for they call it the Amazon closet? So everything they shop for on Amazon and the Costco closet. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. The but clothing false.
1: closet now is not the focus since we all, I mean, I don't know about you all, but I've been wearing the same sneakers for three
0: months. Right. So, Right. Nobody sees you.
1: <laughs> yeah. Nobody sees me. So, um, but definitely the Costco closet is the request.
2: We just, Michael, we're doing a, a new house and we just shrank the mudroom so we have a bigger pantry. The pantry yeah. has an island. It has a sink. I mean, we have another pantry already. We have two other pantries, but this is now this is a place to wrap presents. And, you know, it's, like, it's more than a present room because it's bigger than a gift wrap room. Right. And we're shifting the plan to make this work. We're actually moving the house this way and doing it that way to make this room happen.
0: It's interesting because pre-corona crisis, there were all these reports about, you know, the billionaires buying land in New Zealand to, you know, have a bunker. And, and it's almost like that idea has filtered down to everybody else, but you can't have a, a bunker or you can't have a remote island, but you do have your pantry and you have your toilet paper. And I, I guess that that's reassuring, although, you know, there was a very funny video about how much toilet paper can you use in a year. But I guess psychologically, it seems like people are, need reassurance. And how do they find that in design? I guess it's, it's a larger question here. And how are they expressing that to you guys in terms of what they're asking for besides fixing the spot on the upholstery or whatever? Because as you were saying, Tom, you don't want to overreact and act as if we're going to be living this way forever, but how do you do it in a realistic way that's sensitive to their concerns but isn't going to distort your vision?
2: I just think a lot of it's about flexibility and, and, you know, maybe that's the key. Maybe the big lesson here is you don't know what the next thing's going to be like, right? Right now we're dealing with coronavirus, but in 15 years or five years, it could be some other thing where people actually need to have smaller or they need to have two families where there's currently one for, for a reason we don't even right. know yet. Right. Maybe the big lesson is not just flexibility in that you have three places you can go pick up a phone call, but that the whole house is designed in a way that this could become that room or that could become this or... That, you know, maybe it's about being less rigid about what a house is or be, or designing things. I don't know how you do this with the thought that what works today will not work tomorrow. And it may be the exact opposite of what's happening. It may be totally the opposite we're doing right now. So all this effort about HEPA filters and screen porches and giant pantries, 10 years ago, I go, what were we thinking? You know, well,
0: I could see it about the HEPA filters and the giant pantries, but I do think a screen porch is a wonderful thing. Uh, (laughs) Always. Sarah, how about your clients?
1: I mean, you're, you're right, Tom. I mean, we used to say that decorating the two key pillars were form and function. Like you can have a beautiful room, but if it doesn't function, what's the point? And now you've just flexibility. It's all about flexibility.
0: But is that going to be a hard sell to some people? Because, I mean, Tom, I'm sure people come to you and they said they've seen your houses. They've seen these beautiful shingles houses in, in Newport or in, in the Hamptons and the beaches. And they those dreams are very potent. And how do you combine the two? I
2: don't know how you combine the two, but it's true that the thing we're not really, that we haven't spoken about, is that people still want a beautiful house and they still want it to look like a home. There's certain things... That and I
0: think beauty is important.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, they come to us for a specific thing. They go to other architects for other things. Right. And when we veer from that for whatever reason, they say, hold on, hold we like those chimneys and we want this kind of a shape and can't you do a curve? I don't, to answer your question more specifically, um, which I, I forget what it was, but what was your question?
0: No, I was. is it a hard sell in terms of that idea of flexibility and be responsive to the possibility yeah, of the future I, I, think, I think maybe
2: what you say sorry to interrupt you is you say we got to think about what this has to be like what, what life is going to be like in 10 years or 20 years and maybe more than just your kids are living here and you're not or your grandchildren here and you're not that you know maybe the big lesson is flexibility and can you imagine down the road you know, should we be thinking about this office becoming a first floor bedroom suite or this office becoming two offices you may want to work with your wife in the same room but 10 years from now you may want to I I think you can sell flexibility in a way that makes people not think it's a terrible thing to talk about, not think it's too nerdy,
1: right? And I feel like we've we kind of do that already because when we've designed we designed we call them ghost babies. Well, your grandkids one day. I mean, who knows when you have grandkids? Here's where they can stay, and so we we
0: kind of do that already. You're looking ahead. I love the idea of a ghost baby. I think that's a great term. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I guess the idea is, and I I think this idea of flexibility, Tom, could be uh, partly the answer to what we were saying about ever giant more houses, less ecologically aware, less good for the environment. Because if you switch a room around, you're not adding a room, you're not tearing things down, you're not adding to landfills, all of that stuff. So I think flexibility is probably a really important aspect of that. But I could see it's kind of an abstract thing, like Sarah. When you talk about the ghost papers, do people get it? Do they are they open to think about? They, 10 do. Or 100? they do. They okay. do. Okay, I find that very reassuring. That's good. And Tom, do you? But do you feel the same? Because I know your clients are very high end clients, and for both of you, they want what they want, right? And they're used yes. to getting what they.
2: You know, they want what you. They want, but all good clients, and all of us are good. <laughs> they do listen to you, and they want your ideas. They, right. they I think, there would be nothing wrong with starting off a meeting or a very early conversation, saying, "Look, let's think about flexibility. Let's think about what could this room be coming." And you know, one of the things I always say, you know, don't build the house for, don't build the store for Christmas, because even before coronavirus, if you could use one room for two functions, like if the family room could also be the media room, instead of building a whole media room, you can build smaller and better or the same amount of dollars. Use it for better materials. So I think it's sort of the same attitude, like Sarah says. We kind of already talk about it. So, but maybe maybe we need to bring it more to the fore. Mm-hmm. We talk about it without saying flexibility. We talk about it without saying a house has to be able to change. Right. we say that. We say, "Wouldn't it be nice if the kitchen could also have a breakfast room or something like that?" But the idea of saying, "You know, we need to think about this because life could be different in
0: a year." Right. And. One of the things that I, I find fascinating about this, how we're going to respond to this crisis in building is like all the things that were so fashionable a year ago, like I'm, t- I'm thinking like urban development, you know, all those apartment towers. It was all about shared spaces. The apartments were smaller because you would have a library, a, another room that you could use if you want to have a dinner party, a gym in the building. Now that's all been thrown out the window.
2: That's so abs- absolutely true. I mean, when we were looking to rent while we do our renovation, it was shocking how tiny a, a one-bedroom apartment is now. Hmm. And the, like you said, the answer already is, well, you have the roof, you have the gym, you have the pool, you have the meeting rooms. Now, who, who wants to go there? Right. So what do these guys do? with They build a whole financial model and building that's 60 stories tall And this model, which may, you know, they kind of rolled the dice and it didn't come up right.
0: Right, and I, how are they going to adapt those spaces? What we do is you poke through to the next apartment,
2: right, right. Now you know, or something like that. You split one apartment into two with the. I don't know what's going to happen, but it it's not going to be inexpensive.
0: Right, right. I think these a lot of developers are going to be. Eating their shirts for a while. Really? Now, Sarah, you don't obviously deal with many one bedroom apartments. No, bedroom but apartments. I, I have
1: first hand experience. I actually made my own mistake a couple years ago. I was going through a divorce and I was looking for a new apartment. I called my broker. I've bought two other apartments with her. I've known her 15 years. She knows me well. I saw this apartment online. I said, I want it was a studio. And I said, It looks cute. I'm gonna see it. She said, eh. I went and I was charmed. And Mm -hmm. I I was like, I want to live here, make an offer. And she said, I can't make that offer. You cannot live in a studio. You need a one bedroom. And I said, make the offer. And now I get it. I am like, what was I thinking? But who ever thought you'd be inside in New York City for three months? Right. Right. I would have told someone they were crazy if they told me this was gonna happen. But I've definitely looked back and I think, you know, because New Yorkers, we live so out all Absolutely. the time. And Absolutely. I was like, I don't need a big apartment. I'm never home. But right. now I am. <laughs>
0: right. Right. And I think speaking of that, I do think that this idea of working from home is one of the things that's not going away. Maybe you won't work from home as much as we all have had to, but I think the flexibility of it, and even though the Zoom calls are exhausting, Tom, we all know, it's a great thing.
2: I live 20 minutes from the office, which is not far. Mm -hmm. I have 40 minutes extra a day to -hmm. either work or have a longer breakfast. And when you multiply that by the millions of people and people who come in from New Jersey, what a waste of time. And energy, Um, I I was just thinking as as you guys were talking about flexibility and stuff. You know, we're talking about houses, but what about the office? And I think what may happen is to relieve the pressure of you being in a small apartment, your office almost becomes an extension of your apartment. Yes. But the office is smaller than it used to be because people are also using their apartments as an extension of the office, and so there's this sort of maybe this sort of interesting integration of workspace and home space that might happen where things begin to
1: overlap. More. Right. That makes total it's sense.
2: One is sort of an escape from the other.
0: Well, it's interesting. I mean, I have to say, I'm glad I'm not an apartment developer at this moment, and but I'm also kind of glad I'm not in the commercial real estate business because so I think they're going to go through a hard time. And again, they're going to have to rethink how offices operate. You know, the whole idea of WeWork or Soho House or Noya House where people go together and hang out and, you know, you have... You you have a small space where six people work together, that isn't going to function anymore.
2: You know, we almost, um, I think Barkley is going to be moving at some point. We were looking at spaces. We, we were within an hour of signing the lease when all this coronavirus took place. The, everyone in the office was worried that we were moving to too small an office. And now I'm realizing, first of all, I'm glad we didn't sign it because I think the rates are going to come down. Right. But I'm realizing that that quote, smaller space is probably too big. Really? And I when I talk to I talk I call my staff and architects and stuff, and we talk about, you know, do you want to be at home? And, you know, would you share a desk? Like, if you're going to be home three days a week, like, you know, would you share a desk? And we, we don't need to spend that kind of rent or right. build that much cabinetry.
0: Right. But I do think it's hard to collaborate on a creative project at a distance.
1: It's really hard. And I have to say, shopping online for fabrics and then you... Sh- you open the package and it looks nothing like, you're like, huh, hmm, just makes everything a lot right. more drawn out and waiting for samples. And whereas in my office, I have my sample library. And one thing I think that's interesting is when we do uh, design meetings and we're showing fabrics and, and whatnot, and the client says, well, you know, I'd, I think I'd rather have a velvet. We can run in the other room and grab a box and have... right. Pen velvets to show right. them. And so it's right. that's going to be hard interacting right. with clients. It's really hard in our business. It's so, so tactile for us.
0: So, right. And what about the collaboration between the architect and the designer? Has that been an issue so far via Zoom or whatever? Because do you think that's going to be better, worse, the same?
1: I think, I mean, Tom, don't you agree? You might say, oh, I have the perfect wood sample here for in and so and so has the perfect wood sample. Is that gonna be harder for you too when you're doing Yeah, that's that has been the hardest thing. I was about
2: to say that it's I think you're an interior designer, much, much harder. You, you that is so tactile and it involves not just the color but the feel and the, the hand, whatever you call it. And I don't know how you do that remotely. We are designing a lot of houses right now. You know, it works for architecture because, you know, it's geometry and you can put it on a screen. And if you have a stylus, you can draw the scheme. And so we've had from, you know, clients, we, we have new clients and we've designed houses on presentation. We've never been in the same room together. And it, it works. And the houses are coming out. I think they're going to be really great houses. Um, we're just now getting on those houses, we're just now getting to materials. And that's where it becomes an issue. So one of the reasons I came into the office today was to look at all these stone samples that got FedEx to us. Yeah. Really collaborate, but you If you can't put your hands on the material, it's really a problem.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think that that will diminish over time as people become more mobile and less worried about the virus. And the design centers are will be reopening and different sources. But the distance thing, I think, is... I, I mean, I'm old-fashioned. I like sitting around a room and discussing things with everybody. That's how my entire work life was like, you know, getting ideas and everything. And the idea of that, you know, setting an appointment, doing that, I think that's got to be hard. I mean, clearly, you would make an appointment with the client, but with your team, that spontaneity, I think, is going to go away, or it's going to be harder to create.
2: It's that sort of serendipitous stuff that happens in an office. You're walking by someone's desk actually see something, and they come in, they bring you a cup of coffee, they sort of remember something. You miss those little tiny synapse-like moments that happen when you're together.
1: Absolutely. We have a big island in our office and that's where we may, you know, lay out some fabrics and someone will walk by and say, oh, whose scheme is that? That's pretty. I have a fabric that would look great in here. And, you know, and also the, what the asking um, opinions of each other, you know, what do you think about this with this? That's going to be hard. That is hard now.
0: Yeah, yeah. But I think that will get better. I, I guess what I would love to get a sense from you guys is, what do you think will last after the crisis is resolved? Like, hopefully beauty, which we talked about, and will last. But what, else, what lessons are being learned from here? And what do you think the changes that we're going through now will continue? Flexibility, I would assume, this idea of thinking. But what else do you think is going to be I mean, we've hopefully learned something from these four months after we've been confined to home. What do you think that is?
2: The thing I hope for is some thought, more thought about the environment. And now we've talked about it, the sort of, you know, on the one hand, environmental things are happening. On the other hand, they're not. I, I hope that, you know, when people realize what quiet is like, they'll buy electric cars or they'll ride a mm-hmm. bicycle. I, I just. I hope that people will realize how nice it is to be on a screened porch or, or some room that can become an outdoor space and that fresh air is better than, I don't, mean, I don't care how many HEPA filters you have, a nice breeze off the water is better than recirculated HEPA filtered air. I, I'm hoping that, that those are some of the things that stick. I'm, I'm a little skeptical um, because as this thing starts lifting, I'm hearing more and more motorcycles and more and more trucks already. But I'm hoping some aspect stays. But, you know, we are getting more requests, for example, for electric charging cables for cars in their, in their garages. That, that, everybody's suddenly calling about that. Wow, that's so interesting. That's my big hope is there is an environmental shift.
1: Having been in the city during this entire shutdown, I, the air is cleaner. It's crisper. It's really been interesting. I agree with you, Tom. And yeah, but
2: Sarah. What about the noise? Have you noticed? I mean,
1: well, when Michael mentioned hearing birds chirp, it's true. I hear the birds chirping outside my window now, and it, and it, and I think about it. And I was sitting in a backyard, socially distancing with a friend in my neighborhood, and we saw a cardinal, and we saw all these birds, and we were like, "Wow!" Like we had never seen one before. It was really, it was, it was fun.
0: Right. No, it, I think that connection with the outdoors is something that will also last. I think once people have experienced that in a quiet way, I'm not saying every day, As human nature, is human nature, people are going to want to go out, they want to go have a rowdy time at a, at a bar, whatever, which is all good, we love that. But I do think there will be moments that people want to revert to the a quiet moment. And
2: right. I, I think that that's true around their own home. Mm -hmm. I live in Midtown, so it may be quiet where they live in, I don't know where it is, New Jersey or Queens, wherever whoever comes. You know, it's a little different when they come into their workplace, will they realize that other people live, will that quiet, desire for quiet spill over to their behavior when they go into other people's neighborhoods?
0: Right. That's Mm
2: -hmm. one of my hopes. Not to sound like a crank,
0: but... (laughs) I hope you don't have to move, Tom, after you've done this big (laughs) renovation. I have
2: to. (laughs) <laughs> but I'll tell you here's one odd thing that's happened Sarah if you've noticed it because there's no cars on the streets you get these fleets of Ferraris literally Lamborghinis and Ferraris and these special Porsches that race around oh my uh, god so, so off the subject of our conversation but the, New York New York has become a bit of a a Grand Prix I
0: had <laughs> no funny. idea I have not it's, read about that it is so
2: noisy I love cars I love Lamborghinis they are loud yeah
0: yeah they are
1: I have to say my two and a half mile walk to the office has gotten faster because there aren't i don't have to stop at every corner right because there's not as many cars and people and to to maneuver around right
0: i mean that's one of the good things I'm enjoying too like when we go into the city, you know what used to take two hours takes less than an hour and a half i mean but I don't think that's one of the things that's going to last after Corona. I tend, I think that's, you know, I think if you live in LA, I don't think the 405 is going away. (laughs) Um, But I do think maybe people are going to think more about how often they drive, the kind of car they drive, as you were saying, Tom, that kind of thing. I think there's an awareness and that silence can be a good thing and that I I expect there'll be an overreaction once we can go out more and go to restaurants, you know, pent up demand, that'll all happen. But maybe, maybe, maybe people will have gotten from this uh, an increased respect for what their homes can do for them and give them and shelter them and nourish them. And I think that would be a great, great thing Mm -hmm. that we learned. Thank you both so much for taking part in this and it's been really informative and fun and I really appreciate it. Thank you, Tom. And thank you, Sarah.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Michael.
0: Thanks for listening to the Cherish Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or colleague or even better, go to the iTunes store and post a review. We appreciate your help in spreading the word. And we would love your ideas for future episodes. Please email us at podcast at Cherish.com The Cherish podcast is produced by Britta Muller and edited by Max Solomon of Hanger Studios in New York Until next time